life of David and then um, sharing even just how us as a spiritual family, we as a spiritual family will engage with this story um, throughout the week, even in prayer room, and hopefully uh, be able to read the life of David with much more devotion and awe of the Lord. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 13, um, verse uh, 14. Okay, it's going to be a short one, but we're going to kick off the life of David with this. Um, so the context of this is that uh, Samuel is talking to Saul, and he has rejected, God has rejected Saul as king. This is the first mention of David ever in scripture, and it's so interesting what the Lord says about him. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Um, pause right there. I talked about last week in NASB, the version actually says that the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And so a couple things that are interesting about this. Um, one is that this is one of the few mentions in scripture where God actually says, I picked this guy for what? For myself. Like it's, I used last week this, this analogy and, and ironically, or maybe not, I had starbursts for the first time this week in like years. But, um, last week I had talked about how, you know, when you're younger, you have starbursts and of course the yellow goes to somebody else and this goes to that somebody else but the pink always went to me. That was for myself, right? God actually says that I selected David not primarily to be king, not primarily to kill Goliath, not primarily to lead Israel into a golden age, but primarily for the enjoyment of God himself. And that's so important for us as God's people to recognize that when we're called to be parents, when we're called to go to school, when we're called to work, the primary reason you're called is nothing less than for God's pleasure himself. And that's a totally different paradigm. In fact, God, interestingly enough, points out David um, to Saul when David was only about 13 years old. So here's Saul, the mighty king, um, out in battle, and Samuel says there's a man out there that God pointed out for himself and this is just a little kid out tending sheep. And that's such a powerful encouragement to all of us because it doesn't matter how small your assignment is right now, how little you may even see yourself. It doesn't matter if you're from the great city of Columbus, Ohio, or you're from the small town. <laughs> Thank you, Californian. <laughs> or you're from the small town of uh, Wrensville, Ohio. How many guys know Wrensville, Ohio? Nobody, right? It actually exists. It's the smallest town in Ohio, and it's in the southeast side, probably hidden in the hills. God sees it. <laughs> and, and what if God had chosen somebody from Wrensville, Ohio, a nobody, to be president of the United States, to lead the great, greatest revival that America's ever had, that brings in the golden age of America? God actually looks at the heart. Even in a young age, those little promises that you made when you were 12, 13 years old to the Lord, like he actually sees the seeds of righteousness in us and he calls it forth and he calls us as it is while it's still in seed form. And not just when you're 13, but even today, 
Like today, if we say yes, today, if we consecrate our hearts, today, even if we're not attaining it in the, the outer expressions of our life, but that internal yes of our hearts, like, God, I want you. Like the Lord looks at us and says, there's a man after my own heart. There's a woman after my own heart. And great are the plans for your life that the Lord has in store for those who love him. Right? And so God found for himself, and God also um, found even in the boons of the Judean hills. Right? Um, so great um, was David's life. And you can actually go to the first slide here. Now that Emily's gone to IHOP, we have a new um, pro presenter person. So everyone give a round of applause to our next new volunteer, little high school Jefferson. Very good. You can actually go to the next one. Right? But um, that <laughs> it's okay. No fear. You might accidentally click this way or that way. We'll, we'll follow it. Um, so David is actually a witness. His life, God says, was a witness and a model for us. Um, it's rarely said that about anybody else. Like, the only other person that is written about more than David is obviously Jesus. The next one is David. Like, God goes into so much detail of David's life. Why? Because he wants us to understand it and to model it. Um, in fact, it says of, of David in Isaiah 55, 3-4, it says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness, that word is also model, to the people, a leader and commander to the people. So David is a picture of what God wants to cultivate in his bride. It's a model of faithfulness and obedience, of a church that loves and worships and wars in the spirit. Um, it's a standard. David's obedience and ministry is not just a standard of what he wants in us, but what he has purposed his heart, God himself has purposed his, in his heart to establish in the earth. It says of um, David that, I, I don't know how, to, let me just try to think of an analogy. Okay, so uh, Twee, let's say, all right? So if you talk to Twee long enough, you'll notice that every once in a while she'll be like, oh, that's like Ken. <laughs> like just random things, right? Because she's married to Ken and she loves Ken. And then she'll be, see food and she'll be like, oh, Ken likes that, you know? Or like uh, the other day, you know, we were riding bikes and Joseph was supposed to lead. And, um, and Tweet goes, oh, Ken will have a problem with that. He's going to, Ken's going to ride to the front. And sure enough, like, so <laughs> on, <laughs> on her mind, she knows Ken and she loves Ken. And throughout, if you walk with uh, Tweet, you'll notice that Ken pops up quite a bit in her thoughts. You'll notice that in God, in scripture. Like throughout scripture, God's like, oh, that man was like David. <laughs> oh, oh, if you could be like David. Oh, I'm gonna establish people like David. And there's something so close to God's heart, obviously because David was a man after God's own heart, that even so much to the point that when Jesus was on the cross, and I, I said this last week and I'll, I'll say it again, but that David was such a good friend to God that when Jesus was on the cross in the deepest suffering of his life, he quotes David, his friend David, three times. Like, can you imagine being such a good friend to God that in his greatest suffering, 
Like, he thinks of your love as comfort. Like, do humans have that ability to access God's heart? Yes. David was just a man like us. And it is the shock of all heaven to hell that God allows weak human beings to get so close to his heart, to be such a tender point in the God of the universe. And David understood that, and David accessed that, and God said, oh, would that our people, that my people would replicate that in their life. Oh, I don't want just one. I want a whole bride full in the kingdom of people who would do what David did. And so that's why we're going to study the life of David, because David didn't just chase after God's heart in the greatness of his his exploits. He chased after God's heart in the weakest moments of his life. When he was in sin, what does it look like to be a man after God's own heart? When you're being oppressed, when you are messing up, can you still be a person after God's own heart? The answer is yes. And when we study the life of David, I think it's going to shock us. I think it's going to even offend some of us that we can still be close and chase after God and he still lets us come after him and be near to him, even when we fail. Go on to the, the next slide, please. <laughs> oh, Jefferson. Oh, you did? Oh, okay, okay. What is this slide? Oh, another verse. <laughs> you promise, oh, right, so... Um, this is one of the examples of God using David throughout scriptures. He promised, like one of the sons, uh, I think it's Solomon, who said, you promised David my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons walk before me as you have walked before me. And if you read the, the kings, it's either they walked in the Lord, like David, their father, or they didn't like, you know, so that, so that, that name David came up a lot. Go on to the next one. Okay, so how we're going to approach this series is that we are going to understand the biblical narrative. So I'm actually going to have Becca pass out. Oh, did you already pass it out? Oh, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the biblical story of David. And so I want to encourage you guys that this week and the weeks to come to actually read through the story of David. Um, Mike Bickle says that you can do it in 10 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so he sometimes said, like, you can sit in a plane ride, and just 10 hours later, you could be done with the story of David, right? But that story of David was meant to empower us, to refresh us. Um, I love what Mike Bickle said about it. He said that as he read through the book of David, he felt like, like he was just, like, you just finished watching a really, like, great movie. Now you, like, feel so invigorated on the inside. That's actually how God wants us to, to feel. He gave us this story as a model and a type. Um, so we're going to go through this story, but even more powerfully, I, I want to encourage you guys. I gave you guys a, a packet of the Psalms. Um, does anyone not have a packet of the Psalms, just so I, so I see it? Okay. Maybe I'll print out a couple more. Um, but as you read through the story of David in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, take a moment to take your pen and actually write the Psalms that corresponds with David's life. It's so powerful. It makes the story of David come alive in a way that, that you may have never experienced before. That when you're reading, like, oh, David killed Goliath, and then there's a psalm. It's like what's going on in his heart 
after he did this. Or as Saul drives him out, as he, as he has to say goodbye to Jonathan, there's a psalm that he writes. And it's so powerful to see how David positions his heart before the Lord. Um, and so we're going to go through the biblical story. And so I want to encourage you guys to read through it and become familiar with it. Oh, it's in uh, 1 Samuel, starting from chapter 16, all the way through 2 Samuel. Okay. Um, so we're going to study David's story. We're going to read about it enough that we can kind of read it with a spirit of devotion. Um, and then we're also going to look at David as a type of Christ, basically a preview of Jesus' ministry. David really reflects a lot of what his great-great-great-great-grandson would later walk in. Um, for example, um, they both collected outcasts, right? <laughs> they were very familiar with that. And even little things that you, we don't even notice until we look deeper in the, into the scriptures. But, you know, both of them, when they were in trouble, they, fi they figured out a plan for their parents. They figured out a plan for someone to take care of their mom. You know, there's little things like that that we see um, Jesus' own heart reflected in David's. And we're going to learn leadership lessons, how God actually raises up leaders, what he de decides to do as leadership curriculum class over his leaders, and how leaders respond to him. Um, for example, David, um, one of the greatest leaders of all of Israel, even today, if you go to Israel today, you will see that they long for a leader like David still, and they hold on to a promise that one day the leadership of David um, would be on, on the throne again. They're longing for a David type of leader to bring in that golden age of Israel. Um, but uh, the leadership lesson is that David himself went through the seminary of Saul. Now, how many of you guys have been through a seminary of Saul in your life, right? You don't have to raise your hand. But God actually qualified and actually trained Daniel David, sorry, David in the seminary of Saul. Um, I was, as I was reading through the passage, one of the things I noticed about Saul, uh, if you remember his story, was actually Saul kind of reminded me of uh, my generation and the younger generation. Uh, super whiny, like super <laughs> in some ways. Like he was very like, woe is me. Nobody, nobody notices how like, how poor my situation is, and like nobody has sympathy for me. Like my son Jonathan is friends with David, and nobody thinks about me. Or like my my daughter Michael, like married David, and she betrayed me. Whoa, is nobody gives sympathy to me? And actually, um, one of the times that he thanked someone was because, um, well, I don't want to go into the whole long story, but basically, uh, this he had killed all the priests, or he was going to kill the priests because of a guy who betrayed him. Um, and Saul looked at this guy who is the betrayer and said, thank you for being sympathetic towards me, right? So Saul was constantly feeling like a victim. And David, on the other hand, um, when the priests were killed, one of the sons of the priests ran back to David and said, look, like Saul killed all my family members. And David, like you would have think, you would think, I would think that David would be like, ah, oh, stupid Saul. Like, he's so bitter. Like, man, he should not have killed your family. That was so wrong of him to do. Like, Lord, bring judgment upon Saul, you know? Like, you would think that that would be the average response. 
But David, in his humility, in the seminary of Saul, looks at that young man whose family just got killed, and he goes, that's my fault. Like, that's my fault. Come, I'll take care of you. Like, there is a seminary of difficulty, and, and actually, like, God allows great leaders to go through that. They have to go through that. They have to know what it is to honor the Lord in times of greatness and to honor the Lord in times of, of difficulty and to not harbor bitterness, but to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind and to love people. And that's the seminary of Saul. But we'll see how God brought David through that seminary. Um, and then we'll also look at David's heart response. Oops, sorry, go back one. David's heart response to God in terms of responding rightly to God in times of pressure, failure, and success, and diligently pursuing him in changes of seasons of life. I, I think after the first time I studied David's life, like I felt so um, comforted in that we get to watch like him greatness after killing Goliath, and then Ziklag, and, and Gedi, and then Hebron, and then all these things. And his life is just like this graph of up and down, and then you just watch his heart each time as he goes up and down. And it's like, oh, that's how God wants me to respond in that. And I can, I can do that. I can do that, you know, by the grace of the Lord. Okay, so what is the main thing that empowered David's heart response is that, go on to the next slide, David was a, David, oops, next one. Next one. Huh. <laughs> go the, the other way. Yeah, that one. David was by far a student of God's beauty. If you want to know how David was able to carry himself through all that, David, more than even Moses, more than even Daniel, was a student of the beauty of God. Um, he was a student when he was a little shepherd to when he was a great king in his 30s and his 40s and his 50s. And that's something I want to encourage us as a spiritual family to do. Not just to learn the ways of God, but that let, that would point you to meditate to his majesty and his beauty. What, his, what he's thinking, what he's feeling. Right? Um, and it's, it's kind of true. Like, if you've talked to any, like, person, you know, dating, like, uh, like I, I'm trying to not use somebody as an example, so I'm trying to veer from that. But, <laughs> like, when someone, not you, Isaac. But when someone, oh, actually, can we use you? That'd be great. Uh, so, <laughs> so like Isaac or really anybody dating, they'll, they'll spend hours on the phone, right? Hours and hours. And back in the day when you had to pay for those hours, like cell phone minutes, like you could rack up. I remember my friends would rack up like hundreds of dollars on their cell phone bills, right? What are you talking about? Like, you know, like, can you remember what you actually talked about? Not really. What they remember and what we as humans are wired and conditioned to remember is actually the emotions, right? Like how you made, how that person made you feel. Not that we forget everything that we talked about, but how when we walk away, we remember the emotions of that person much more deeply. Even that's true with sermons. I, I would wager to guess most of you can't remember all the things that I preached or even one sermon that I preached in the past. Like, well, could you even remember it? Probably not, right? But you will remember how I treat you, the emotions I made you feel, if I made you feel safe, if I made you feel afraid, right? Like, 
you will remember those things. And in the same way, not that we shouldn't remember all the things that God teaches us. All the things that he teaches us actually points to him and his heart and his emotion towards us as well. And so to understand and study God's beauty, how do you want to be fiery for the Lord? You study his fire. You study his heart, his emotions. So David was a student of God's beauty, his glory, his splendor, his heart, his emotions, his wisdom, his power. In fact, uh, David says in Psalm 27, 4, one thing I desire. This is the thing that drives David through sheeping to kinging to whatever he does. The one thing, his top motivation, is that he would seek and dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David was a theologian of God's heart. He was... Um, so used to sitting at the feet of God that he could understand how God was feeling in a situation and God's feeling, even in number two, how God, how David saw himself in God's grace. Oh, I was talking to Steve last week and Steve was saying like, you know, David used to upset me so much. Like, because this guy would go and sin and then he would just like, la-di-da, like go back and, and, you know, into the presence of the Lord. And that's actually true. That's actually offended a lot of us who have read David's story. Like there is, David, like shouldn't you spend a little time like mourning a little bit longer or throw yourself in purgatory for doing your, you know. But David was just like, God delights in me. <laughs> like even after he does some of the worst things, like does David repent? Absolutely. But the moment he turns, he goes, God, you love me so much. You know, like, and it's like, ah, oh, David, like, really? And, but David actually understood something about God's heart. He knew because he saw and sat at God's feet that God delights in him, right? The opposite would be Saul. Saul could not. Saul would hide in shame. He spent purgatory. Um, he felt like God, would just, God was harsh. And that's the temptation. But, God, but David knew otherwise. David not just knew that for himself, but he actually knew that for others as well, that God delights in you. And because he knew that, he saw God's beauty in weak and broken people. He had a good eye towards them. And that's really hard to do. I mean, everybody here has experienced it, but the, the natural inclination of the flesh is to look at people and just feel so... <laughs> sometimes like hopeless sometimes or like if you see people sin it's just like like or just you know whatever it may be but David actually had what the Bible calls a good eye because he sat before the Lord he could look at people and not see them just as where they are right now but what God was doing in him and her and what God was even the beauty of God in a person like David could see it um you know that story of um, Leah? Leah is also often known as the woman with bad eyes, if you read in scripture. Um, I used to think that that meant that she needed glasses, and like maybe like she walked around and bumped into walls and do, and um, you know, Jacob's like, oh, I don't want to marry that one. But <laughs> like actually, the, the phrase for that, good eye versus bad eye in Jewish context, actually meant the perspective of how that person saw life, like how they saw others, right? That, that Leah had difficulty looking at people and hoping in the Lord's um, glory in that person, 
like loving that person, um, looking at the good that the Lord was building that person. Leah had bad eyes, right? And we, we know bad eyes. We all struggle with bad eyes. You know, when we see enough sin in a person, like, uh, but David, David had good eyes. Why? Because he sat at the feet of Jesus and he constantly saw and constantly thought about what God is doing in that person and is working in that person and how God feels about that person. Right. So um, actually one of the examples of that, uh, which I was super convicted by, is actually David in his early life. Like when he was a young kid and all the armies of Israel was fighting against Goliath and everyone was terrified against Goliath, even saw himself the king, looked at his own army and, and saw them as weak, small, trembling, and unable to defeat Goliath. Here comes David bouncing in, and he looks at Goliath, and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against the armies of God? And then you look at the armies of God, like the video pans over, and the armies of God is like quaking and like <laughs> super like white in the face and like, who we? Like, <laughs> you know, but David looks at God's people and he says, this is the army of the living God. Who in their right mind would come against these guys? David, that doesn't make sense, right? Not unless you've sat before the Lord and you've heard his, his longings and his whispers and his plans and his desires over a people. Could you confidently say this? This is the army of the Lord. Right? And we have that in our own lives. Maybe it's your kids. Sometimes you're like, oh, <laughs> like what are they doing? <laughs> like, you know, oh, goodness, goodness, like, they need to do this. Like, but, or it could be, you know, the people you work with who are so frustrating. Um, whatever it may be, like, to look at that with good eyes, like David saw because he sat before the Lord. This is the army of the living God. This is the one whom God is redeeming and going to make great. Right? So, being a student of God's beauty he saw God's heart, how he saw himself in God's grace, how he saw others in God's grace, and how David saw his own circumstances. Can you go on to the next one? Um, David, a man after God's heart. Um, what did that look like in three active ways? Um, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but I was just studying the other day that just because we have dogs and we really love our dogs. Um, so they did this study that actually dogs like flop on their belly or like do silly things, not so much because they want to do it, but actually because they notice it makes you happy. <laughs> yeah, so they're looking for, they're constantly studying your emotions, right? And how that makes you feel. And they'll do silly things just to make you feel happy about it, right? Because they study you. Obviously, the dogs don't know, like, your theology or your outlook on life and da-da-da the details, but they study your emotions. And in some degree, like, like, we're invited in a way to, like, have that kind of joy and confidence towards the Lord. Like, God, I know, like, what's, like, making you delight. I want to do it. I want to delight your heart. Like, when we see this smiling face of God and how, and we don't just like, oh, he's smiling good. Like, I think that makes him good, you know? But actually, 
Like if we sit there and we study and let the, the emotions of God and his joy and his delight just sit there with us for a bit, you know, and let, it, let us absorb it. Like we're actually far more um, excited and inclined to want to delight his heart, you know. And so even when we have to do things and we have to walk in obedience and things that we don't really want to do, it's enough for us that God is joyful, right? That when we go through hard things, like even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, that we look at the Lord and it's enough to know that he is with us, that he is proud of us, that he is joyful. Like those emotions of the God are such a, a pillar of sustenance for our faith. So David was a man who studied God's heart. He was after God's heart, and therefore David obeyed the commands of God's heart. He studied the emotions of God's, God's heart, and he served the purpose of God's heart. Um, yeah, I have little examples of that, but I think I'm pretty close to the end of the time. Um, just a quick uh, thought as we wrap up this uh, sermon. Like, just as a spiritual family, as we jump into these 14 weeks or, or, um, or so of the studying of David, I just want us to even, from the get-go, just kind of purpose our hearts, just kind of to set our, our vision and our gaze. Like, man, I, I want to study David because I want God to say over me, what he said over David, I want to walk out the highs and the lows of my life. Like, and even if I haven't, I want to reflect and go back to those highs and lows of my life and, and reconsecrate them in the way that David would have in his heart posture. Like, knowing full well that the, the delight of the Lord, like, I want to be a student, God, of your emotions. I want to be a student of your um, thoughts and your feelings. Um, and I want to delight myself in you like daily. Like, so as we study the, the, the Psalms, as we study David's life, like, again, I want to encourage you to read through it. I think in the next few weeks as we go through his story, it'll be far more powerful if we read through it on our own time in the prayer room and pair it up with the Psalms. So I'm going to invite uh, Becca to come and lead us in prayer in a time of response. Is that okay? <laughs>